1: Are you looking for truth from God's word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
2: When you talk about the magic kingdom, it's not just the happiest place on earth. It's one thing. It's the whole experience about the mouse. And for us folks, when we talk about the kingdom of God, it is everything that is biblically accurate about who God is and how He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And we are wanting the whole world to know this. We want everybody to put under this to submit themselves to God in His kingdom. And that's what we defend and that's what we're trying to further. And that's what God really wants us to do. Now watch what I'm about to say. The best way to do that is when you and I have a basis to do this on what is known as the faith. And the faith needs to be our faith. So we need to know the faith academically, what it is, be taught it, make sure it's right. And then we have to, and here's the title, embrace that faith. It has to be our faith. And once we do that, then we'll know what we're going to defend and further. So having sound doctrine, it unites as well as divides. But you have to have sound doctrine. You have to have a a basis to do this. Now if you don't mind, I want to take you back briefly in some church history. I'll open this up at another message. Back when the Bible was finished, Jesus Christ left. The church began, Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2. There was a whole body of truth that was left for us. The apostles were the big ones that were kind of discipling and planting churches and the message was going out. Very soon after that, the church was hit with some division. There was some issues, some problems, some questions, some false doctrine. So a group of people who were specifically taught by the apostles came together, and they then took scripture and what the apostles said, and they wrote what is commonly known that most of you have heard of, and if you haven't, you should have. It's called the Apostles' Creed. And so they tried to reduce what scripture had to say to what we might use the phrase fundamentals. I'll give that to you in another message at another point. Well, that kind of arrested the issue for a while. About two centuries later, two and a half centuries later, there was another false teaching that was just going throughout the church where people now were taking passages of Scripture, the teachings of the apostles, out of context, taking other teachings, putting it all together, and teaching mixed truth or mixed air as truth. Well, that was not right. So then another group of people, about a hundred scholars, got together. Theologians and pastors and lay people came together at a place called Nicaea and they went over scripture carefully, they talked about it, they went back to the writings, Old Testament, New Testament, all that they had available to them. They went back over the Apostles' Creed and they came up with what is known as the Nicene Creed. So what they have done is one more time substantiated a set of doctrine that would be sound doctrine of a basis for us to believe. Well that worked for a long time, and seemed like a lot of people didn't get together much after that to try to figure out what would be sound doctrine until 1700 years later, at the end of the 18th century. Again, there was a conflagration of doctrines that were going out. There was evangelism going on in the early 1800s, D.L. Moody, etc. A lot of things were happening. So people were grabbing a little bit of this teaching, a little bit of that teaching, throwing it all together in one big doctrinal stew pot. So then they grabbed another group of leaders together that were scholars in the word, that were fundamental in the beliefs of the Bible, and they took the Bible, they took the Apostles Creed, they took the Nicene Creed, they formulated another set of writings for the church today to recognize as sound doctrine based upon the Bible, and they wrote that material, and today it is commonly referred to as it is as the Fundamentals. You can still order copies of that. It's just a little bit more expanded version of the Nicene Creed, which is a little bit more expanded than the Apostles' Creed, which all of it together does not contradict each other. It's called the Fundamentals. Now let me bring me into this for a moment for you. A number of years ago, I started a men's study on a Friday morning because I was committed to helping our men know sound doctrine. Now most of you that know me, I like to give you practical ways to walk in your Christian life. When I teach expository, it's application Bible preaching. But I also believe while that's going on, we need to have a base of men, women too, I'm not slighting men, or slighting women, but it was with a group of men, sound doctrine. I put the material together and then through the years, I've called a group of guys together that were willing to separate themselves on their normal schedule and commit themselves to one year to be trained in what I called shepherds and training. Now that sounds weird, shepherds and training are teaching doctrine. No person will be an adequately trained shepherd if he does not know accurate, sound doctrine. So I'm going to build the shepherding principles based on doctrine. So the material itself was called, that was the class, Shepherds and Training, the material was called Foundations for Our Faith. There were ten doctrines I picked out using the scripture, using the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and I turned it into a catechism, so to speak. Ask the question, there's like 25 questions under each doctrine, with voluminous amount of biblical answers in an outline fashion, with all the verses, tons of verses for it. Well, it was interesting because about three weeks ago, we had Dr. Norm Geisler here, and you know him, theologian as he is, and he was speaking, and he said there are, I believe he said there are 16 truths, 16 doctrines that he believes everybody should know. Well, as I went over the 16, I went over the 10, and I'm going to submit five to you. They're all important. So whether you have 16 or 8 or 9 or whatever, I believe if you want to take them, you need to reduce them to at least five sound doctrines. And the reason I picked these five, and I'm going to teach you is that there are a lot of other sub-doctrines that are sound within these that I won't have necessary all the time to be able to teach to you on a Sunday. We can open that up in a separate meeting if you'd like. Be glad to do that. Should do that. But I selected five. Watch. Why did I pick these five? If you monkey around with any of these five, or eliminate any of these five, or disagree with any of these five, then you do not have salvation as a result in your equation. In other words, if you don't believe the sufficiency and the infallibility of Scripture, and you have to believe another book is still as good as the Bible, and you're taking principles from that, and you're believing in something else, you can't be saved. If you don't believe that God is all God and supremely God and he's just a God you can't be saved. If Jesus is not all God himself you don't believe him as the Lord who died and rose again you can't be saved. If you don't believe the Holy Spirit is God he's just some force there is no Holy Spirit how can you be God because he's the one who seals you. And then when you come back to the redemption of man it's got to be faith alone and Christ alone. So we want to cover that. I'm not going to be doing that for a couple of weeks and we'll spend one Sunday per doctrine just to give you a little bit something to springboard into something else now as I look over this crowd guys for just a moment I'm looking here half of our crew, group here is made up of guys so if you don't mind for just a moment let me speak to the men here not that ladies can't be like this because I don't believe all those men are from Mars and ladies are from Venus stuff. but for you guys as a guy we tend to be highly task oriented we want to get the job done we want to solve that problem we want to get it done That's how we are. You tell us where that mountain is, why we need to fight on that mountain, and we'll go up there and fight on that mountain because that's who we are. Perhaps that's why it seems like most of all the prophets were men, at least in Scripture. Not that women can't be prophets, don't get me wrong, but it just seems that men are that way. But I'd like to submit this to you folks very carefully now. While we'll be learning sound doctrine, you need to know that sound doctrine is always taught in the context of Healthy, loving, warm, tender, accepting, sensitive relationships. It's not the shoot low, throw grenades, you've got to be right, you're right, you're wrong, this is the way you ought to believe, and point that bony finger of wrath and superiority to someone else because you know more than they do. It's done in a comforting environment, and that's the way that it should be, and I hope that it will be. If you look here, this might help you. Dick Halverson said this. He says, in the beginning of the church... There was a fellowship of men and women centering on the living of Christ. Then the church moved to Greece where it became a philosophy. Then it moved to Rome where it became an institution. Next it moved to Europe where it became a culture. And finally it moved to America where it became an enterprise. It's all about making money. That's not how the early church got started. If you recall, Jesus then left the earth. The Holy Spirit was sent. Peter stood up with 11 guys around him and he began to preach to those who were present. And when he preached to those who were present, he was explaining about the Holy Spirit coming. He was giving the whole context of salvation by grace through faith. He was doing it historically by taking from the Old Testament, particularly from David and David's view about who the Lord was, bringing it all to these people, and he was preaching truth from cover to cover. And the Spirit of God brought conviction, and those people were ready to receive the message. And the church, in a sense, was born from that moment and that time period. Now look what it says in verse 41. It says, this is very important. Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to the church or to the number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. So here's what you can see, folks. Evangelism is done in the context of sound teaching and fellowship. And that's not to take prayer out of the equation. But you're seeing evangelism in the context of sound teaching and And, of course, relationships. Notice verse 44 says, And all the believers were together and had everything in common. Now, unity is not an organizational unity. It becomes a relational unity. Let me see if I can explain what I mean. We might have things in common with the Conservative Baptist Association, CBA, Work Baptist. Then you have the Methodist over here. I met with an individual on Friday. He was a Lutheran over there. And so now we see these different organizations. But our unity ought not to merely be born out of what organization are you in. Our unity is more born out of a relationship that we have. Now watch this now, watch this. On sound doctrine, not external policies and structures and rituals. It's born on sound doctrine. What does the Bible really say? You can be a Baptist and not believe in Christ as your Savior or that Jesus is Lord or the Bible is sufficient. You can be a Methodist who believes in Christ alone is the only way to get to heaven and not by works and that you can't lose it. You could still be a Methodist. So it's not based on the titles that you have. One person said, you put too much in the titles. If you know Christ is Savior, when you go up, the title, the tag will blow off. If you don't know Christ is Savior and you go to hell, the tag you wear with you will burn off. So it doesn't matter the kind of tags that you have. It matters whether or not you have authentically and completely and accurately trusted in the sound doctrine of Christ. And I pray that that might be where we are through all of this. That's why scripture talks about Jesus here writing about the love that we need to have toward one another. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this will all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. So we want to keep it together and we really do want to love each other. It's an internal love that we have that now comes out to the external. Now, the last question I'd like to answer is, why do people still fight? Now, here's what's happening. Some of you are saying, yes, pastor, I do know sound doctrine. But why is it that some people who know sound doctrine, that still know the importance of having loving relationships with one another, why do they still fight? Why do they still engage in friendly fire? I think all of us are mature enough to know that it comes from a nature. It's known as the sin nature. It's our depravity. So even knowing truth, even knowing that we should love one another, even knowing that we should help others grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord, we can do it in a very contentious way rather than a very loving way because we still have that need within us. And sometimes that need is this. We have to be right. We have to show everybody how much we know, how smart we are, how dumb they are, how much they need to know, how much of the scripture we are, how spiritual we are because we know the original language and you don't and how spiritual we are because we've gone to the right schools and how spiritual we are because... They don't say it that way, but they sometimes can act that way. And I'm not putting down going to the right schools and knowing language. The more you know, the more accurate you'll probably be at times. But it's all about the right relationship that he wants us to have. How important that is. I'm going to tell you that if we don't have that, disunity brings great shame to the body of Christ. I'm going to tell you a humorous story. It really did occur. I accepted the call to pastor a church in upstate New York. It was a very historical church. And so I went up into the big archive, big, what do you call attic, and I wanted to read their early manuals about what went on with the church. It was founded in 1776. That tells you how old this church was. And as I'm going through this, I wanted to sense where was God moving in the church in the past to sense where would God want me to partner with him in helping the church to go in the direction that he kind of set this ball in motion. I started reading through this material and I I got in, by then I'm now into the... um, late 1800s and I found out that the church had a horrific split what this church split over was this the church came to a point in their life that they said we needed to have heating in the church so they were going to put a pot belly stove in this upstate New York church and they were going to put wood in it and some coal in it and etc the people were absolutely livid that they would take a stove that was meant for your house, and bring it into the house of God. And they said, shouldn't the warmth of the love of God for one another keep us warm in this building that we don't have to be like the world and make this sanctuary like our own living room? And so they were all upset. They were so upset, I'm telling you a true story, that what a group of people in the church did in the middle of the night they got, and remember these churches aren't as big as ours, they're little little wooden buildings. They got this church, they put poles under the church, they lifted the church, they set it on these huge logs, then they rolled the church across the little dirt path, the little you know carriage where the horses go, a little road, so that the back end of the church faced the road and the front end of the church faced an open field full of cow dung, because they were so upset over that. Now, can you imagine the testimony of those Christians and what they had for God in the community when they did that? Now, you would think that they would learn. No, they didn't. They patched up the back of the wall. They kicked open the back and they made that the front door. Now, that became the church. About a hundred years later, the church, again, sound doctrine, knew the same things, saw their doctrinal statement. I, I don't know if they believed it or not, but they had a good one. Now, the church gets upset. Here's what they got upset with. They were bringing in septic tanks in various homes. And so the church decided that they were going to have indoor bathrooms so that they could go to the bathroom, not in the sanctuary, not in front of the the altar, but in a little special room so they wouldn't have to use an outhouse for convenience. They were going to have basically indoor plumbing. Again, the people were so excited, it was reduced to about six families that had to start that church over again. Now, as we look over that and we look back and we say, a furnace and a commode and a church, how silly that is. But how many of you can go back and now he chuckle over the last twenty five or thirty years that We've seen churches go through the same kind of silly struggles from whether you have certain instruments in the church to whether you have pews or chairs to whatever else you have and it is split church. And all that happens is Satan is up there and he is smiling because immediately all the glory that went for the Lord was now energized in all these people here and the world was looking at it and saying, if that's Christianity, I don't want a part of it. And also that was happening was weak Christians who were now wanting to go to churches, I don't want to be a part of that church, And now you've got the fractured body of Christ. And then I look at churches that are thriving together in unity. Where all parts of the body is healthy. And they're all joined together. And all the parts of the body are giving right blood to one another. Right air and oxygen. So we're like a well-tuned Olympic machine. And I'm going to tell you, are there churches out there like that? Yep. They're built on sound doctrine. But it's sound doctrine that is applied to their daily living. And that's the kind of church that we want to have. Stephen Brown tells this humorous story. He says, what happens when a group of thoroughbreds, horses, are under attack? I don't know what it is, but it's a story. He says, thoroughbred horses, when they get under attack, you know what they do? They all turn in and face each other, nose to nose. All these little thoroughbreds are kind of staring at each other like this. And their back ends are all stuck out. Now, I'm not going to do much of that. You know what I'm saying. But then when the enemy comes, the opposition comes whatever it is, instinct takes over and they all start just kicking their hind legs like crazy and whatever animal, bear or whatever it is, gets scared of all of that stuff and runs away. And I'm saying, you go thoroughbred, you, know, you go trigger. you know. On the other hand, donkeys do it the other way. When donkeys are under attack, here's what they do. They all get together and they stare at their enemy. And where do you think their hind ends is? All facing each other. And when the enemy gets closer, what do you think they do? They start kicking their hind end. And what do they do? They all kick themselves. And I'm wondering if we have some churches. Now, I'm not going to go any further than that. But I'd like to be like the wise old thoroughbred and not the ignorant donkey. Charles Colson says this in his book called The Body. The less secure people are in their beliefs, the more strictly they become strident. Conversely, the more confident people have are the truth, the more grace they exhibit to those who don't agree. Well, folks, I want to bring this message to a close now. And I'd like to tell you this. <clears throat> have you been a victim of friendly fire? Now, friendly fire doesn't have to occur in the church. It can occur in your family. It can with well, an uncle or an aunt or a brother or sister. Have you had some people throw some grenades into your world? How about on your job and your committee and your department? People that you've worked with for a long time, people you trusted, people that have trained you, mentored you, people you've hired, and they've gone underground to become friendly fire against you. Have you experienced that? Some of you are still carrying the hurts and the wounds, and you've just cocooned now through this whole thing. And you're just like Chuck Stecker says, the regular military people, you've lost your, your, your passion, your excitement to go out because you don't want to get hurt again. How many of you are still suffering the pain of being beat up and talked about and hurt in other churches and now you want to just come into this church and just heal? And there's a time for that to kind of refocus and get your strength back from God and all that. But then there's a time to say, you know, we're always going to have trouble as the sparks fly upward and therefore what we're going to do is we're going to bond together like a bunch of thoroughbreds and we're going to look at each other we're going to support each other, we're going to be there for each other and we're going to apologize if we hurt someone. We're going to be very careful that in our desire to be dispensationally accurate, we're also dispositionally affectionate and care for one another. If there's one doctrine you're saying, okay, Stan, there's a lot of stuff you gave today. What's the one doctrine I should go home with today? If there was one and one doctrine only, here's what I'd like you to leave with, and that is this. That God loves you He sent His Son to the cross of Calvary. He died again, rose again, died again, died and rose again. And that if you would admit that you're a sinner, desperately in need of a Savior because you are wicked and lost, but you look into the very loving arms and eyes of God, He says, I died and I paid for your sins, and now if you'll trust My Son, I will give you the free, full forgiveness of your sin if you'll simply by faith alone come to Me, not by any works. If there was one doctrine that will bring you into the family of God it's coming from the sufficiency of scripture that says for by grace you are saved through faith and not of yourselves as the gift of God. It is understanding that Jesus himself is God and that God gave his son. It's the spirit of God bringing that conviction that you're guilty but also sealing you once you trust Christ as Savior never to take away your salvation again. But the door you go through is Jesus Christ and you open that door by placing your faith alone in him and nothing more. Take that And here's what I promise you. You will never experience from the Lord friendly fire. Let's pray. Yes, you might experience it from other brothers and sisters because we are absurd at times and we are wrapped in flesh. We have a sin nature. But from the Lord, you'll never have friendly fire. He loves you. He's got a plan for your life, a purpose. That's why you want to know sound doctrine so you'll discover what it is so it's not... Your purpose, but God's purpose lived out in your life. Is there anyone here today that says, Man, I want to be a part of this. I want to have sound doctrine in my life. And I'm going to embrace the first sound doctrine of all, and that's by faith alone and Christ alone. I'm going to trust Christ. Would you do that? Here's what you can say to the Lord. It's not really a prayer. It's a mental transaction. And saying, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've done things wrong, but the best I know how, I'm going to trust Jesus Christ as my only hope to heaven. Would you do that, my friend, right now, wherever you might be? Lord, I believe you died for me. So with every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, if you are in some measure saying that to the Lord where it's a complete reliance upon Christ, it's not an intellectual assent to a truth, it is that, but then it's the next step, which is now you are embracing it for yourself. You are trusting completely in Christ. And you'd like for me to pray for you with Noah looking around. I'd like you to slip up your hand. Now, raising your hand won't get you to heaven, but it is telling me that you're trusting Christ. So without coming forward or standing up or saying anything out loud, but silently slipping up a hand, if you'd like for me to pray for you, is there anyone in here that would like for me to do that? If today's the day you're trusting Christ, then right now, right now, put it up so I can see it. I'm looking for it. Is it up? Well, dear ones, if you'd like to talk about it, you sure can. I'd love to do that. I'd love to speak with you. And I'll be available for you if you'd like. Now for you Christians, we're about ready to partake of communion. It's not a very long, but it is very meaningful. And perhaps if you have not forgiven someone who's given you friendly fire, maybe it'd be good for you to enter into this communion with the Lord by forgiving that person. If you know you've hurt somebody and you haven't apologized yet, maybe for you you need to make that commitment. If you have, whether or not they've forgiven you, that's up to them. You've done your part. You're free. You're clear. You're good to go. Do you want to have a good time of communicating with the Lord in a communion with Him? It's an open communion for all those that know you, all all who know Jesus as Savior. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for what you've reminded us about. Five truths that we need to embrace, everyone does, and I pray that as we learn these that they'll be helpful for us as we walk forward with you. Help us to be a strong, solid church built on the rock, the foundation. And next week, Fathers, we open up your prayer about how you prayed for unity, that this is important, that we would realize that we are one church, we're not a large church, but connected to the body of Christ, we are a huge church, a movement of God in building the kingdom of God for the glory of God. And Father, we now partake of communion with a heart turned toward you as we remember your death until you come. In Jesus' name, amen.